This is the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining me, my good buddy Adam Emmer. Long time no talk, Brandon. How's everything down in uh, enemy territory down there in California? I have not run across very many enemies, which is good. So what you're saying is, is there's no real fan of the California teams? Well, there's. I think in Sacramento, I think people just don't care about the Bay Area as much. Yeah, there's a weird disconnect there. But I also work with scientists, and they really don't care about sports ball as much. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> about as interesting as this whole offseason has been to this point. Don't, don't you agree? The, this offseason could get a whole lot less interesting coming up with Russell Wilson setting a deadline for his new contract. That yeah. could be over by the middle of this month. And then what are we going to talk about for the entire offseason? His next contract or how they just signed him to the contract to trade him because Ciara wants out of Seattle because Colin <laughs> Coward won't back off that ridiculous crap. No, yeah. it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Welcome to the Russell Wilson's contract podcast, because that's pretty much what this is going to be for the next two, three months, no matter what happens. Well, not no matter what happens. If he signs a deal, then, well, then I guess we can still talk about trade for the entire offseason, right? That's what I'm saying. Ugh, gross. I know. Okay, well, we can talk about Russell Wilson's deadline coming up. We can talk about Doug Baldwin needing more surgery this offseason. Apparently, his situation for the coming years is up in the air. Dwayne Brown says the Seahawks need to throw the football more. Okay. How about that? And, All right. Uh, and hey, you know what, though? There was actual news this week. The Seahawks signed a, a couple of defensive linemen and mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks, re-signed a corner. Oh, I missed the corner. Nico Thorpe coming back to Seattle. Oh, he did. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. See, I missed that. Well, now you can feel better knowing we're kicking this off with some some positive Seahawks re-signing news. Right. Right. Including uh, good old Cassius Marsh. I was I was trying to tease that for later. You know, that's. That's more of the excitement that. Uh, oh, OK. Brings, I mean, but. never mind. It might have been Cassius Marsh or it's not. <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> and stay tuned for a, a name of a dude that you probably won't recognize. OK, uh, that seems like this time of year for sure. And I don't know why you'd stay tuned for that either. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know why you would either. Let's talk about rumors. Russell Wilson's contract. This isn't rumors. This is facts. He has set a deadline for April 15th. I bet you that's a movable. You don't think that? No, I don't. Like already out of the gate. Like, oh, Russell Wilson set a deadline for April 15th. Well, and people are speculating why, right? Like, because there's really no rhyme or reason for that date specifically. It's the start of off-season workouts. Right. Other than like, you know, I've heard a couple people say, oh, yeah, he's doing that so he can uh, flush out the Seahawks long-term intentions like out of the gate, whatever. Ahead of the draft. You're telling me here's so this is how I feel about this deadline already and why it's bullshit. Like you're telling me that if they don't come to a, a deal on April 15th, if on say, I don't know, May 4th, uh, the Seahawks come up with a contract that he likes, that he's going to be like, nope, past the deadline, not taking it. Well, that's the ridiculous part about this, right? Yes. And I can understand wanting to set a deadline just to say, okay, this is over. We'll put it behind us. I agree with the idea that deadlines get things done. I agree with that. So this seems like more of a goal than a deadline. Well put. That's the best way that that's been put in the media to this point. Very well done. You're right. It is. It's more like a goal being like, look, fellas, let's get this done by here. And then if not, we'll revisit this like, you know next year or hell if you come up with to me in a month and you're like oh yeah so all that stuff you wanted here you go uh, then i'll take it but like the whole idea that 
if he sets the deadline and they don't come to an agreement by April 15th, that they'll just like let it go to the next season. And somehow by setting that deadline, that eliminates the distractions for the rest of the year. Give me a freaking break. Like the idea that you set the deadline, he doesn't uh, sign a deal. And since he set the deadline said, well, now I won't negotiate that till next season. So we can just forget about it until next year. And there won't be any distractions uh, surrounding that. Give me a break. That's all the media will talk about. We're going to get all kinds of distractions anyway, whether he signs it or not. Yep. As we talked about before, signing a contract doesn't stop the media from putting out ridiculous trade ideas. Oh, or trade rumors. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Cowherd go on there the other day and, and do his, his thing again. And it, like, basically the premise of the whole thing was uh, if you're just a single dude, you're not, you don't have any power. Like you got to have like a powerful woman by your side. And then once you have that, she tells you what to do at all times and uh, makes <laughs> you get more stuff and move away from where you're comfortable because that's how it works apparently in the real world or something. And so, yeah, he's going to New York or now maybe even uh, L.A. to you know supplant Philip Rivers. Oh, sure. Well, that makes that makes even more sense. Yeah. With with Phil playing at a high level still somehow. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably going to go and like sit on the bench and wait for Phil to ride off into the sunset. Right. Plus, I hear from the Giants that they're super happy with Eli Manning and that he might even play beyond this year with with New York. So the narrative that Eli is washed up is ridiculous. That's what I heard their GM say. So why would he even want Russell Wilson? Yeah. I mean, they don't even need him. <laughs> Got Hall of Famer Eli Manning. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would be a little surprised if they don't get this contract done by the 15th, because literally Russell Wilson will never be cheaper than he is right now. Every day that this passes, he becomes more expensive. That's what it feels like to me. It feels weird that Russell would set this deadline for an April because like you mentioned, this is as cheap as he's going to be as, as every day passes. The contract gets more expensive. The cap goes up every year. Do you think if they sign him in two years, it's going to be for a better deal than they would have signed him for this year? That's why players always bitch in about year three of their deal. Well, no, I'm underpaid. Well, you were the highest paid dude when we signed you, but no, I'm underpaid. That's how it works. Every single year it goes up. Yeah, you're underpaid by the second year. Right. Because Russell's going to sign a new contract and then Aaron Rodgers is going to say, well, I'm not paid the most, so I'm underpaid. Exactly. Give him $35 million a year, $100 million guaranteed to a guy that hasn't uh, missed a game in seven years, has gotten you to two Super Bowls, has won you one, has uh, basically put you on his back and led you to the playoffs uh, almost every single year of his career. Uh, and is now the centerpiece of the team. And you're going to dick around over a few million dollars a year and whether or not he makes 12% of the salary cap or 14% or 16% of the salary cap. Oh, my stars. Those 3% will make all the freaking difference. I'm sure. <laughs> Like, that's what I see people like bickering about in some of these articles. Like, how much of the percentage of the salary cap can Russell Wilson take? And if he takes that much, they can't possibly win. Even though this last year he took up 13% of the salary cap, and yet they still manage double-digit wins. They can't win like that, Brandon. They can't. The difference of, what, 14 to 16%, what's that the difference of? The fact that you can actually sign a guy like Nico Thorpe? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nico exactly. Thorpe's going to make the difference in the, in nine or 10 wins. Well, the other thing that I know from reading the national media 
is that when the Seahawks do sign him to this mega deal, they can't just keep uh, being successful with their style of football. They got to change everything. They got to let the Lamborghini out of the garage. They got to become, you know, an air it out offense like the rest of the NFL. Like this archaic uh, model of football can't possibly work. And it's all got to change. It's all got to change dramatically. Didn't didn't it have to change once he signed? It went from his rookie deal to his next contract. Had to change. It all had to change. Blow it up. The one person that I looked to who actually, I think, wrote a, a well done article was Dan Graziano of ESPN. And he kind of he looked at the different structures that the contract could look like for the, for the Seahawks, for Russell Wilson. He looked at Aaron Rodgers. He looked at Matt Ryan. One of the things that he expressed, though, with the problems with the Seahawks is the way that they've done contracts and that they don't. Mm-hmm. They're long term veteran deals. They they don't guarantee anything beyond the first year of the deal. Right. They have what they call rolling guarantees. Right. Right. Yeah. Except for injury, you know, because Cam Chancellor, he got his contract guaranteed due to injury. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, the rolling guarantees, which means that once March rolls around the, the start of the new league year, then that's when that guarantee kicks in. Right. And it's just a way to if you want to cut a low performing player, which Russell Wilson won't be. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you, you have the ability to do that. So he, he kind of laid out three different structures, like one being a long term deal that is similar to the one Aaron Rodgers signed a couple years ago or Matt Ryan signed a couple years ago, where, you know, it's five, six, seven year deal. And they uh, basically make you the highest paid player, quote unquote, and you get a, a fair chunk of change guaranteed, but you're kind of locked into a long term deal. I don't think that's what Russell Wilson and company is gunning for. In no, my I think it's probably more along the lines of you know, he, he said that deal, which you know he said Wilson could look for something that's five years, 180 million, 100 million fully guaranteed. And that would be in line with Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan. Or if you go Kirk Cousins and just want fully guaranteed short term three year deal, then probably more in the area of 100 million, which is the is the same thing as the fully guaranteed amount of the five year deal, except you don't have the extra two years. Right. So the the CBA gets renegotiated going into the twenty twenty one season, right? Yes. Okay. I, I can never remember. Like I, I know it's either. in the next couple years, right? That feels so whatever right. that time frame is, this is what I do if I was Russell Wilson. Whatever that time frame is between now and when the CBA is renegotiated, and this is what I do if I was the Seahawks too. I would sign a contract for however long that is, two or three years, and have it be fully guaranteed, and then see what happens after the new CBA. Maybe that's better for the Seahawks. Maybe that's better for the player. I don't know, but I don't want to be locked into a five, six-year deal you know, with a completely different CBA now having been negotiated, and you're locked into stuff that doesn't work in the new NFL. Like, And I think that's better for both sides. Not only that, but then it gets uh, Russell Wilson to free agency one more time, and like we just talked about earlier, the cap's always going up. The contracts are always going up. You kind of Darrell Revis this a little bit and you make more money long term. That's the one that makes sense to me. I don't even really care about the CBA. I'm just as a player, I would be thinking short term anyway, because like we've established, the, the salary cap always goes up. Well, how pissed would you be if you signed a five year deal in the new CBA? You could have gotten like different sort of guarantees or whatever it is, right, that they that they negotiate. And now you're locked into a contract that doesn't have any of these new bells and whistles that you could have had. Well, that's what I mean. If you're a quarterback, why ever sign a five-year deal? Because I don't know. 
it's always going to be better in two or three years down the road. Well, the third the third uh, option that Graziano brought up uh, is maybe a reason that a quarterback does sign for a long term deal. And he cited Drew Brees and the Saints. And he said, well, this might be a road the Seahawks could go down. And immediately when I saw the word Saints, I said, no, because I don't know if you've noticed, but they've been in salary cap hell for like, you know, the last five, six, seven years. They also have a quarterback who's at the end of his career. Right. So I guess what they did is they've they've been doing like redoing the contract and then adding, quote unquote, zombie years to the end of it, like years you'll never get to, but spreads out the cap hit of the guaranteed money over future years. So basically, you're mortgaging the future for the now to spread out the cap hit a little bit longer. And that would be the last way I'd want to do this, because I've seen what that's done to the Saints over the years, and it's been difficult on them. It's kind of what the Patriots have done with Tom Brady with his signing bonuses every every so often. That's not what they've done with Tom Brady. If you think Tom Brady doesn't have like deals with Robert Kraft, business deals that will be executed upon his retirement, you're fucking crazy. Oh, you mean like having the TB12 store right at the stadium? Huh? Yeah. I yeah. think those deals are already there. Yeah. Yeah. But let's look at it because there's the argument that, oh, you know, Russell Wilson, he isn't worth being the top paid quarterback in the NFL. But I think we can agree that Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees and Tom Brady have been three of the best quarterbacks since 2012, right? Correct. Okay. Passer rating since 2012. The top four guys, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady and sandwiched in between Brees and Brady, Russell Wilson. Right. People complain about passer rating, but it's a pretty good way of judging quarterback performance over the, you know, since 2012. Passer rating's not perfect. Don't don't get me wrong, but it gets you in the ballpark. Yeah. Like it usually it usually delineates the quarterbacks in a way that you're like, yeah, that makes more or less sense. I mean, there's some guys where you're like, wow, he must have just had like a lucky year or anything like that. But we've seen with Russell Wilson like this last year. Um, did he have the most touchdowns he's ever thrown? Yes. Uh, did he have this higher pa- highest passer rating of his career? Right. Was he the uh, highest rated quarterback via difficult throws by pro football focus all year? And there's more. And wait, there's more. You're like the sham wow guy. <laughs> well, just look at Russell's franchise records. What he's meant for the Seahawks. The leader in career passer rating, single season passer rating, single game passer rating, passing yards in a season. Passing yards in a single game, mm-hmm. career TD passes, single season TD passes, tied for single game TD passes, single season completions has the record for that, career completion percentage has the record for that, mm-hmm. also single season completion percentage, has the most consecutive passes without an interception, has the career single game and season records for rushing yards by a quarterback, and tied for seven player of the week awards with Sean Alexander. Look, you got to change the entire offense. Because he is simply not productive enough in this offense. See what most of these writers like don't seem to fathom or get is the idea that the magic of Russell Wilson isn't that he's a volume passer. The magic of Russell Wilson is his incredible efficiency. It's what he did in college, especially at Wisconsin. He gra- when he graduated school, he was the most efficient quarterback in the history of college football. The efficiency is where the secret sauce is made with him. I don't understand why you have to suddenly throw the ball 
20 more times a game. Look, here's a couple names of, of guys that uh, finished ahead of Russell Wilson in attempts this year. All right. And you tell me if uh, there are a lot better quarterbacks. These are guys that were in the top 10. I can already in, tell in you no. Passing attempts. Yeah, exactly. Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum, Eli Manning. Attempts don't mean that you're going to be a good quarterback. Attempts usually means that you're playing from behind in the in the football game. Yeah, either that or like you don't have a running game. And so you just throw it, even though you, you, your quarterback's not all that good. It's just a, the the Seahawks have played football a different way. And it's but it's ineffective, Brandon. They only tied for sixth in points per game this year. Like they can't score. It's a terrible offense. And they can't Look win. The passing they, attempts, Brandon. <laughs> And they finished with 10 wins on the season, a season where people thought that they were going to have five or six. Right. I, I, I'm seeing the Vegas over under this year being eight and a half games. Yeah. How's it going down? I don't know. They still know that Russell Wilson's still on the team, right? Right. That's nine wins. Yeah. Russell Wilson equals nine wins. Healthy Russell Wilson equals nine wins. Right. So maybe there's that half a game hedge that maybe he won't be healthy. He's only started every single game of his seven year career. Yeah. I don't know. It's insane to me. Like reading these articles, it just it shows just how out of touch the majority of the writers in this country are when it comes to the Seahawks. And like they just can't accept that smash mouth old school football can still win football games and like do it consistently. That's the other thing. Like some of these teams like remember when Matt Ryan and the Falcons were like the highest flying offense in the world? And then coughed up a, a 28 to three lead to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Remember that team? How did they look last year? Like this style of football is incredibly consistent. Well, what about Dwayne Brown? You know, he was on NFL Network this past week and saying that he thought that they ran the ball a little bit too much. Yeah, he's probably referring to the last game of the year, which right. would stick out in your mind the most. You know, the, really, the, the thing is with the Seahawks. They ran the ball in terms of percentage more than any other team in the league. So what I took from listening to Dwayne to Dwayne Brown is that, yeah, if they ended up passing the ball a little bit more, right, they would be a little bit more of a balanced offense than they have been last year right. because they were they were so far skewed to the running side. But at the same time, you can't argue that that didn't work. Now, I wouldn't run the ball more than they did in the 2018 season. I bet they're going to come back more toward the pass next season. But as far as, you know, coming back and and being the complete passing team, you know, shifting all the way to the other side and passing way more than any other team in the league, they're not going to do that. No, they're not going to do that. And, you know, just looking at the at the run pass ratio that the Seahawks had this uh, last last year, basically the Seahawks run the ball 53 percent of the time and throw it 47% of the time. So what I feel like I hear Dwayne Brown saying is, yeah, maybe we could, you know, take 3% of those runs out of it and throw the ball a little bit more, even it out just a little bit more and have a little bit more success. And everybody has a good day. Not let's scrap all of this and start airing it out and going five wide every play. Yeah. Let's be Tampa Bay. Let's be Atlanta, Minnesota, Pittsburgh. Right who air it out, you know, 63 plus percent of the time or more. I'm sorry that it's not as exciting to the average beat writer that they hand the ball off to Chris Carson and he breaks three tackles and gets four yards. I'm, I'm sorry. That's not exciting for them. Is winning better than losing? You know, I, once upon a time, I heard a wise man say that and I think he was correct. Yes. Winning is better than losing. <laughs> I feel like winning's better than losing. Mm-hmm. 
and the Seahawks have won doing what they've been doing over the past few years. The one season where they did air it out when they didn't have any kind of running game. They missed the playoffs. Yeah. Russell Wilson was running for his life. That had a little bit to do with his offensive line, too. And look at this offensive line, too. I mean, with Upati and, and Fluke and Britt and Brown. I mean, these guys are freaking monsters. Do you want them backing up or do you want them going downhill? I want those guys mushing people. That's what I want. Chris Carson, like smashing them right behind that. Mix in a little, a little penny. Then Russell Wilson over the top. How is that? How is that a bad formula? I don't understand. If people called, you know, Schottenheimer like archaic, and like <laughs> they were like, yeah, run for no gain on first down, run for no gain on second down, and then on third down, call for Russell Wilson do something. No, that's what Bevel did his last year. There were way too many scribble plays. It did at least seem like a functioning offense last year. Right. Where it looked like the, the play design was literally uh, Daryl Bevel had just like pulled out the playbook, took it out of pen and just drew scribbles all over it. And like, that's what Russell Wilson was supposed to do. It was a scribble play. And last year we didn't have as much as that. Like, look at his highlights from this last year. Are there many running highlights where he's like pirouetting or juking some dude out of his shoes or, you know, just running away from the defense? No, it's these deep dimes, like from the pocket. That's what right. you see when you turn on Russell Wilson highlights from this last year. That seems to be working. He drops back. There's a pocket and he hits dudes like Tyler Lockett way down the field. Right. Well, let's take a break, Adam. I think uh, we've explored the idea of, of Russell Wilson getting a contract enough and the idea that they had a good season last year. So let's come back and we'll talk a little Doug Baldwin and the, the Seahawks made an announcement regarding to the upcoming draft that we're going to talk about, too. Oh, OK. The Seahawks have made an announcement coming up for the 2019 draft. Sean Alexander and Cam Chancellor set to announce the second and third round picks for the Seahawks. Oh, that's kind of fun. Sean Alexander, I, I don't we, we don't have a second round pick yet, but uh, I guess once we do. Well, do you think that's a clue? I don't think it's a clue. I think they make these uh, announcements as to who's going to do what picks and then they end up just moving back if they have to. Or this is John Schneider signaling or trying to be really tricky with the rest of the NFL and being like, you're totally interested in trading back guys. Like, let's see. Here let's it see is. This, yeah. yeah, this sparks interest. Like, let's say, you know, the Giants see that and they're like, oh, well, you're looking to trade back. OK, well, how about I uh, give you like a high third round pick and a high second round pick for your first or you know what I mean? Well, I think we all know that they're probably going to trade back. Although John Schneider, he was on the radio this past week, kind of playing it a little coy saying, well, you know, if if we're at 21 and there's a dude that we really like, we we could take a dude with that pick. They could. They literally could. Wow, that's news, man. I mean, I didn't I didn't know that they could pick with their pick in the first round. I didn't know that was a that was a deal. They have done it before that. John, he's just he's so he's so tricky. But yeah, Sean Alexander, Cam Chancellor coming out to announce it. We need to get over the idea of giving Sean Alexander a hard time for the contract that he signed in 2006. Like, I, I feel like enough time has passed and we can just recognize Sean Alexander for being the player that he was in Seattle and being our first league MVP. Like, can, yeah, we, I, can we give him a little credit? People aren't over this. No, like, this is still a thing. <laughs> no, they still talk. They're making jokes about how, you know, Sean Alexander is going to go down on first contact when he comes out to the stage. Well, while funny, uh, still like 
he was the league MVP. He set the you know season scoring record for a season. You know, it was quickly broken, but you know, most touchdowns. That was neat. Like, yeah, he's a he's a hell of a player. Teams game planned around him. I mean, I don't have any ill will against Sean Alexander. Yeah, it was it was just those last two years after he got his contract that he fell off. Okay, they probably shouldn't have given him a long term deal after that. But still, recognize the dude for what he did for the team for all those years from when he was drafted to the Super Bowl season. Is Sean Alexander the least loved former star? Gosh, I have to think so. It feels that way, doesn't it? I, I feel like it, it's... It, he wasn't even an a-hole. <laughs> he was a good dude. He still is a good dude. Yeah. Like, it's like being mad at Hasselback for like his back literally deteriorating on him his last couple years. Or... Walter Jones had injury issues his last couple of years. Yeah, screw that guy. He's terrible. <laughs> exactly. That's how ridiculous it is. Well, another guy that's getting into injury issues in his later years, Doug Baldwin. Knee and shoulder surgeries this offseason. Apparently going to have sports hernia surgery here in April. And some talk surrounding the idea he might be considering retirement. Yeah, sure he is. Um, I... I I know he's not considering retirement. I mean, I don't have, like, I haven't spoken to Doug, but uh, he's not. He's too competitive for that. He's not ready. He's not ready. That He's going to come back. He's got to prove it to himself that he can come back from all of this and, and perform at a high level, just like Cam did after his ankle surgeries and all that. Now, may it be a, a, a quick return and then into retirement? Possibly. But he's coming back. There's no doubt about that. I think from a Seahawks perspective, too, I. I would think that they'd want him back. Yeah, he's scheduled to make, you know, upwards of 13 million, but, you know, 6.3 million of that's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been this talk of, oh, well, you know, cut Baldwin, save the the cap money and, and move on. But even if Doug Baldwin comes back and is as productive as he was last season when he had injuries, you know, 600 plus yards, five touchdowns, 6.8 million, you don't save just under 7 million for that kind of production. Well, that's just it. Like I hear everybody saying, well, the Seahawks have to air it out more. Right. And they got to get more weapons around Russell Wilson. Right. And then you're going to cut one of the most productive receivers or probably the most productive receiver Russ has had his entire career. The guy he has the most chemistry with the guy who is clutch as hell on third downs. The guy who's tough as nails, the guy who leads the wide receiving room. You're going to cut him for $6 million savings against the cap. All right. Tight wad. Have fun with that. Doug Baldwin, he did have the most productive season for a 30 plus year old in the Pete Carroll, John Schneider era last wow. year. Wow. Did he do it with his walker and everything? Apparently. 30 and plus. At 30 years old, he's not even that old. I, I know. I just, I look at Doug Baldwin as the same type of guy that Bobby Engram was. You know, Bobby Ingram, the Bears let him go thinking that, oh, he's getting toward the end of his career. The Seahawks pick him up. He goes on and plays another five, six years with Seattle and has 1000 yard receiving seasons. Now, maybe Ingram didn't have quite the injury issues that that Baldwin's been dealing with this past year, but he played into his mid thirties. He absolutely did. And was one of the top Seahawks receivers. Yeah, he absolutely did. And not only that, but like. Is Doug Baldwin's game predicated on taking the top off a of defense? No. I mean, is, he a, is he a blazer? Is he Joey Galloway? He's I never mean, been a blazer. He, yeah. I mean, is he an AJ Green type who like, or even a Julio type who kind of needs to be 
completely healthy and perfect to be the type of player that they are? Is he that kind of guy? Or does he go out there with stuff that needs multiple surgeries and still produce? He had bad knees and still got open and and caught balls for the Seahawks last year with bad knees. Right. Like he had a bad knee going into the season. And then what was it? The first or second week that he got hit in his other knee. And not only that, but so put the uh, gravestone out for Doug Baldwin, because apparently he's got one foot in the grave. He's damn near dead. He's 30. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, How many people do you hear saying the same thing about Antonio Brown being 30? Oh, he's different though. Yeah. Oh wait. Oh, he's a game changer. He's he's a, he's the one of the elite receivers in the league, but he's 30. He's almost dead. I mean, geez, get the old folks home uh, on the phone because we got to get a room reserved. And and Baldwin plays the game a lot like Antonio Brown does. Precise routes, you know, in and out of your cuts really quick, quicker rather than fast. Well, and just like Steve Largent, he wasn't a burner, but he got open and. And caught touchdowns. Yeah, there's a long history of receivers playing late into their careers and being uber productive. Bobby Ingram, not a burner. Hell, even some of the burners. I mean, Randy, he played late into his career and played well. I mean, look at a guy who wasn't a burner, but a different style receiver. I mean, Anquan Bolden played late into his career just as one of those tough guy possession receivers. Just the idea that Baldwin's done and he can't be a really good player. Like after a, a couple surgeries, like, give me a break. This isn't this isn't 1955 when they cut their knees open anymore. People are acting like Doug Baldwin has a decision to make. The only decision for Doug Baldwin is if he's going to play three more years or five more years. That feels right. It feels right to me. Now, yeah. I, I I have a high tolerance for Doug Baldwin's pain <laughs> and I don't know what he's going through. So I think we both do. I think we both do. Well, one person who uh, did make the decision to go into retirement, former Seahawks center Max Unger. Mm-hmm. Can we finally put to bed the the Max Unger, Jimmy Graham trade and say that it was a wash? Yes. The Seahawks traded Unger. They traded a first round pick and the, they got back a fourth round pick. They got back Jimmy Graham. The Saints draft linebacker Stephon Anthony. He's no longer with the team. The Seahawks got back Jimmy Graham in a fourth round pick. But see, the Seahawks, they used that fourth round pick as a trade ship to go up and get Tyler Lockett in the 2015 draft. So Mm -hmm. really, uh, between the two teams, the Seahawks have Tyler Lockett. This is a win. Well, not only that, but did you get the most productive season ever out of a tight end out of Jimmy Graham as a Seahawk? You got the most productive tight end in Seahawks history out of Jimmy Graham. That was not a, I mean, a, a, Productive trade for the Seahawks, not to mention the title locket tidbit. Neither team won a championship after the trade, so maybe we're both losers. Or maybe it was just fine. Like not a, like every. It doesn't have to be like a monster winner or loss. Not everything in this world needs to be the most epic thing ever, the biggest disaster of all time. Maybe some things are just like meh. Kind of worked out both ways. Kind of didn't work out both ways. Same, just meh. Well, it's over. It's mediocre. Done with. It was a mediocre trade. Yeah, we expected more from it and it didn't happen. I suppose the the headline Seahawks and Saints uh, come to a draw uh, (laughs) on the Jimmy Graham trade. Nobody reads that article. No. Well, one article we're not seeing is one on the Michael Kendricks status. He was supposed to have some kind of status conference on April 4th. Uh, That came and went. So seemingly no news, but his sentencing did get postponed indefinitely. 
And so maybe we have Michael Kendricks now for the 2019 season. Yeah, who knows, man? I don't understand why they can't just like walk into a room in front of a judge and have the judge look at him and talk to him for like 10 minutes and be like, okay, so this is what we're doing. Like I, why, how, what's the big postponement here that keeps happening? This is now the second time. Like, what is the big deal? What else do they need to wait on? It's freaking bizarre. Talking to people who have followed legal proceedings, they make it sound like this is not unusual either. Okay. Then that tells me just how broken the legal system is. Like, just get your ass in there and tell me if I'm going to jail or not. Can we just do that? Jail or no jail. Let's let's right. figure it or out. A little bit of jail or a lot of jail. I don't know. <laughs> let's just let's let's get it out. Although if I were Kendricks, I would rather it be delayed than go to jail. Are you sure? I, yeah, I think I'd rather put off jail as long as possible. I guess in his situation, because he's a, a professional athlete, you try to get as much money as you can before you go to jail while you're still young enough to do it. Yeah. Rather than go to jail and come out and not be able to do it. But I think if you're an average dude, like just get it out of the way. If I had a $4 million contract next year, I would want to postpone it until after I make my money. Yeah, that part makes sense. Well, Michael Kendricks, we, we will continue to watch that. That'd be a hell of a linebacking core, though, wouldn't it? Michael Kendricks, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. Yeah. Pete Carroll seemed pretty excited about it at the owners' meetings, the idea of, of those three guys being his linebacking core for 2019. Well, he liked linebackers, so. And Bobby Wagner. They, they've apparently opened up negotiations with him, too. No. Okay. You don't hear about that as much. Not no. as exciting as the quarterback negotiations. Yeah. Well, another guy you haven't heard about at all is Frank Clark for a bit. Well, he's he's good until, what, June, July? Sure. They have that deadline coming up, unless he sets an artificial deadline. <laughs> Those oh-so-concrete artificial deadlines. Nate Orchard, former Brown, signed with the Seahawks. Woo! See, that's the, the name that I... What's he team, Brandon? He brings a cool story to the team. Oh, then you'll love this. He ran away from home at the age of 13. He must have been fast when he was young. Ran away. Yeah. Uh, no, he moved away from his from his mom, I think, uh, at 13, went to go live with his older brother in Utah, ended up getting adopted by the basketball coach. It's kind of a, a similar story to Michael Orr. Yeah. Uh, ended up, he was playing wide receiver, graduated high school, 4.0 grade point average. That's impressive. D- decided to switch over. So he, he went from wide receiver to defensive line. The natural transition. Yeah, <laughs> that natural. Well, he went uh, he went from 195 pounds as a freshman to 255 pounds into his senior year. So um, Holy crap. a 250 pound wide receiver is probably. Uh, <laughs> Good Lord. Could you imagine a growth spurt like that? No, no, I couldn't. I mean, I could. It's just going to be uh, the flabby kind. I could go up to 255 pounds pretty easily in a world of no consequences. You bet. <laughs> but uh, then he, he finished his senior year, 18 and a half sacks. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so kind which of cool preseason story. game does he get cut in? He made it through all four preseason games before being cut by the Browns last year. Yeah. He was, kind of, he was one of those featured dudes on hard, hard knocks that everybody didn't want to see cut. Who got oh, really? Cut. Yeah. Another reason I don't watch that show. You, you don't want to get, I don't need unnecessary emotional attachments. <laughs> right. To players on other teams. I could see that. Yeah. So they have Nate Orchard. They have Cassius Marsh coming back to the team. And Pete Carroll says the team might use Shaquem Griffin more as a pass rusher in 2019. Yeah, that makes sense. That's one of the things that he did very well in college. One of the ways he was utilized there. Uh, so I could see them using 
you know, came for that a little bit as a speed rusher and edge rusher. Um, Cassius Marsh, good depth guy. He can come in. And I mean, I guess that probably means Mingo's gone. It does feel like that they have enough guys at the position, but at the same time, the, just the Mingo seems like the best suited for the flexibility in that Sam linebacker type of role. I don't know. That's what they drafted Marsh for. But I don't know if he was quite as good in coverage. I don't know if Mingo was all that great in coverage either. But but it, didn't Marsh sign for like a million and a half or something like that? And Mingo's making like five this year. Yeah, that would allow you some cap savings. In that way, it makes some sense. Because, I mean, for the type of production you got at Mingo, which wasn't bad. He's a league average player at the position. That was great. I mean, he had the, more special team snaps than anybody on the team, too. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can save some money there. But Marsh can play special teams, too. Right. He was actually really good on special teams. Exactly. And with the loss of Coleman, you, we could use that. What do you say we welcome some new members of the flock, Adam? Hey, all right. This is my favorite part of the show, especially during the offseason. <laughs> yeah, Ben White in at 12-12, member of the Ring of Honor. What was he before? All right, I guess before he's white. So what is he now? He's Ben White. There's your dad joke for the day. You're all welcome. I don't even know where to go with that one, Adam. Yeah, well, nowhere because it wasn't great. But they can't all be winners. You got to learn how to deal with uh, with you know disappointment and uh, failure. And I was just testing it out. John from New York came in. He's He's been a donor for a while, but he was tired of doing the month-to-month thing. And he came in with a full year of 12.31 per month, up from his 12.29, because he, he was recognizing Earl Thomas. But now mm-hmm. that Earl's gone, he, he decided to move up to the chancellor recognition at 12.31. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it's great to know that uh, we'll have him for the full year in the Ring of Honor. He says, okay, given the sad, although expected departure of Area 29, I've upped my pledge to honor Cam. Thanks for all you guys do, keeping us connected and loving the Hawks. I'm enjoying the insights on the combine and the draft picks for the offseason. Although as an Arsenal supporter and after spending five years in London, I have to vehemently disagree with your characterization of soccer. Football to the rest of the world is boring. As we can all agree, a good defensive football game that is low scoring is not necessarily boring, excluding the snooze fest of the Super Bowl, of course. Tactics, strategy, and amazing displays of athletic skill apply in both. Yeah, except for you only use half your body in soccer. Come back to me when you guys use your full body for the sport. He says, take a break from the AAF and watch some top class athletes compete for the Premier League or Champions League titles. Much more entertaining. Go Hawks. Well, now that the AAF is no longer. Yeah, it's it's easy to take a break from it. Yeah. That email didn't age well. No, no. Master Guns joined in the Facebook Ring of Honor group up from three to 12. Now that's been that's been overdue. That's been overdue. I, I, I don't know how we just didn't in, induct him earlier. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. We may have screwed that up. The Master Gun's making it right for us. Merlin Shunka in for $3 per month via PayPal. Welcome to the flock, Merlin. Yeah, welcome, Merlin. Uh, and welcome to the Pick'em League. Uh, I'm already ramping up for the Pick'em This is how much I don't concentrate on the offseason. Like, I'm already thinking about the Pick'em League next year and how much <laughs> I'm going to dominate. It's going to be great. So start thinking about your team name, Merlin. It, it better be sweet. And Yannick Meinzer. $3 in PayPal. There's a familiar name. I think Yannick maybe switched over from Patreon to PayPal. Okay, cool. I was going to say, good to have you back, but I don't think he ever left. Some people switch. Some people go, you know what? I, I don't like Patreon. I'm switching to PayPal. 
Oh, okay. I didn't know it got that personal for people, but okay. I'm not into the all the Patreon politics, so who knows? You're not out there with the Sam Harris's of the world and and stuff, and having uh, major issues with the with the Patreon. No, is that is it Sam has the the deal with him with with Patreon? Oh yeah, yeah. He he took all his stuff off there and blah blah blah. It doesn't much matter why. You know, we also had Tyson in uh, the last time we got together, and he sent along a note that I missed on the last show, so I wanted to read it and says, yeah. uh, Brandon and Adam just wanted to start by saying thank you for all the extra effort you put in to bring us the show. I look forward to hearing from you guys and find myself impatiently waiting for the next show every time. I'll be honest when I say that Adam successfully guilt-tripped me into my monthly contribution. <laughs> I felt like he was specifically talking to me when he referred to some of us non-paying flockers as freeloaders. This inspired me to no longer be a freeloader and become an official member of the flock thanks again for all your guys hard work and informative insight now there's only one thing left to say go hawks from your pal tyson awesome hey they appreciate it tyson and uh yeah um apparently i got the guilt tactics from my mother and uh they work on everybody else just as well as hers work on me <laughs> the funny thing was is that he sent that you know talked about all our hard work and then we took three weeks off yeah well I have things to do. Well, it was your birthday. No, it wasn't. It's not every year that you get to turn 40. I don't know what you're talking about, bud. I'm I'm not. I'm definitely not talking about you. I'm certainly 40 years old, but I don't know about any of this birthday stuff. Although if anybody wants to send along a birthday donation, donate at gettingtheflock.com. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Send it to Brandon. I think his birthday's around here, too. It's true. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know nobody's birthdays. I know my daughter's birthday. And I know my dad's birthday only because it's on Groundhog's Day. And I can't, I literally can't remember anybody else's. Even your own? Well, I remember my own, but it, it feels like the most ridiculous thing in the world to like celebrate yourself for like a day. And not only that, but like, you know, how many other hundreds of thousands of people share your birthday? Like it's your birthday? Sure, bud. Like, I mean, over the history of time, like what, a million people have been born on that day? You're special. So are you saying Clinton Bonner's not special because he shares a birthday with you? No, a, he's special for very, a lot of other reasons. <laughs> like, there's a lot of other reasons that Clinton is near and dear to my heart, but birthdays, uh, not one of them. No. I just, I dated this gal once that for every year that she aged, she celebrated a uh, an extra day of her birthday. So like when she was 35, it was like 35 days of that girl yeah, like that's celebrating herself. That's obsessive. That turned you off of birthdays for good, I think, because I feel like I've heard that story before. Oh, no, I was far before that. But uh, yeah, there I may have broke up with that chick right quick. Here's an email from JC and Bill Ricky. Oh, right on. It says, hi, Adam and Brandon. Well, I can't say I really understand what's going on in the offseason apart from the gossip and speculation. One of the most astonishing things to me was that Russell would want to live in New York because Seattle is a, quote, out of the way West Coast town. Seriously? Have they been there? We have and we love Seattle. It's one of the nicest cities we have been to in the USA and we are quite well traveled. By the way, I was not a fan of the Big Apple. So what do we do in the offseason? We decided to take a short break in Stratford-upon-Avon, birthplace of some writer or another, Bill Shakespeare. So there we are, enjoying a wonderful champagne breakfast, about to tuck into a full English breakfast when horror of horrors in walks a young girl with a t-shirt proclaiming NFC champions, Los Angeles Rams. Again, <laughs> seriously, catfish the Rams at darn near ruin my perfect breakfast is nothing sacred. 
Love seeing you guys broadcast on Facebook. And thank goodness we have you to debunk all the rubbish going around. Keep up the good work on the podcast from JC. Well, hey, JC. And uh, to all the, the fam, the clan of stringers there. Yeah. I mean, I think if somebody does try to uh, trying to you know ruin your breakfast like that by wearing a Ram shirt into your into your breakfast area. I think you have full authority to throw a piece of your breakfast at their face. I think that's fair. I wouldn't even be mad about it because whenever I see NFC champion Los Angeles Rams, mm-hmm. it just reminds me of Super Bowl loser Los Angeles Rams because you don't wear an NFC champion shirt around. Not No. Why no. would you be happy about just being a, a, a champion? That's because Rams fans aren't real fans, so they don't know what to be uh, happy about and not. They're stupid is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so you can see that and go, oh, well, she's just stupid. Yeah. Although she did say she was a young girl, so maybe she's just inexperienced. And stupid. So JC also mentioning that uh, she loves seeing us broadcast on Facebook. Now, this show uh, we did not do on Facebook. No. uh, Because I'm on the road, but we, we definitely need to get back to that. It's fun. Yeah, it was a good time. I'm in. All right. That sounds like fun. Next time. So wait, how would somebody watch it on Facebook if we were to do it on Facebook again live? Oh, they got to get in on the Ring of Honor. Get in the flock.com. So do that. Then you can see our faces that are certainly meant for podcasts. Interact live, ask questions. It's a good time. It's amazing. On to do better and better at life. No, wait, wait, wait. No, okay, yeah, now we can. Yeah. My do better this week is for the city of Nashville. The 2019 NFL draft is coming up. It's going to be held in Nashville. However, the the city and the NFL, Adam, they ran into a problem. Okay. The area they wanted to hold the draft in Riverfront Park had 21 ornamental cherry trees that were about 15 years old, apparently needed to be removed to, to make room for the 400-foot stage for the draft. So oh. people got all up in arms because they were going to cut down these uh, 21 ornamental cherry trees. Is 15 years old for a cherry tree? I don't think, I think it is. It depends on the tree. Some of them live as old as 30 years, I think. Oh, they got to live way longer than that. Those ones around Flathead Lake are freaking Well, ancient. I think it, it depends on the type of tree. It's a cherry tree. But here's the thing. So they decided that they were going to, they were just, you know, it's 21 trees. You know, they were going to go ahead and plant a bunch of trees somewhere else so they could have the draft and they could kind of make up for it by taking these ones down by planting a bunch of other trees. People got so in a tizzy about it, the Nashville mayor decided that, oh, okay, well, we're not going to chop down the trees. We'll move them. With like a tree spade? I don't know. That's how it's done. How are you going to move a 15-year-old tree and not kill it? It's not going to happen. No, probably not. But fortunately, cherry trees don't get monstrous. So I think it, it might be. Doable. Yeah, I don't know. But it's stupid because I did just look it up, Brandon. The typical lifespan of a cherry tree is 16 to 20 years. If they're 15 years old, they've got one foot in the grave. They're older than Doug Baldwin. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter. Yeah. What, what do you care? Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways we can go with this. We can go do better for the people getting in a fuss about a tree that only has a year or four left to live. Uh, you can go do better for trying to move a tree that only has a year or four left to live and probably won't survive anyway. Or you could say, right. hey, NFL, find another place to put your Catfish! stage and leave the cherry trees there until they die. And lots of do betters. Plenty of do betters to go around. And for that, do better. <laughs> do better for everyone.
Yeah. Well, and just so that I'm consistent, if I only have one to four years left on the clock, like, and somebody needs to take me out for something productive to like yeah. take my place, I, I feel like I, that's I fair. I think I'd prefer to be moved. <laughs> I'm easily movable. No, you won't live if they move you. Just like the cherry trees. It's possible. All right, man. My, my do better this week is for the Alliance. The Alliance of American Football. RIP. This is mind boggling to me. Like they had a good product. They had people watching. They had the whole thing going. They had the NFL interested. And they started this league, Charlie Ebersol and Polian, without three years of funding, like secured and ready to go. Like, how do you start a league without like at least three? You know, you're going to need at least three years to get this thing going. Like after week three, you expect it to be a going concern. Yeah, never mind three years, Adam. It wasn't even three weeks. It was after week two that they started saying, Oh, I don't, I don't know if we have enough money to keep it going. And then the, before the other investor came in, right. The guy from the Panthers, the uh, Carolina or the Carolina hurricanes yeah. that bought in that and bought the league. He straight up bought the league after week two, they were running out of money. Like they couldn't even make it. They couldn't even make it to week freaking two. I just don't understand how you start uh, a complete new league without three years of funding on tap. Yeah. Like I, it, it, who are these people? Like, how did they think this was actually going to be successful? And I feel bad for all the players in the AF. Like I read an article of uh, some of the dudes that were interviewed from the uh, Orlando team, the Orlando Apollos, man, freaking devastated. They were putting together something special in their guess. Well, I guess we'll just declare ourselves the champions since we had the best record. The XFL lasted a whole Catfish. season. And they couldn't even make all this after getting bought out. What a joke show, man. That was so frustrating. That thing had potential. It really did. But yet somehow they were doing it on like, you know, a shoelace and a freaking gum wrapper and it all comes crashing down. And so to the AAF, do better. One of the guys that I feel real bad for is Taiwan Jones, the former Jets linebacker. He signed a contract hour, just hours before the announcement came out that they're closing the league. So he, he went through all the hassle of, you know, making the decision. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give up what I'm doing now. I'm going to try and do the AAF, see if I can get back into professional football. And then hours later, Oh, sorry, dude. Did maybe Johnny football kill the league? Like he played for a week and then the he league was, died. He was one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I mean, he was five for eight, 50 yards passing. Did, did he lead the league in passer rating when it was all said and done? That'd be he, was, he was actually in the, I think, top 15 for passer rating. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. But on to better life and sticking with the theme of the AAF. My better life is for Garrett Gilbert of the Orlando Apollos. Gilbert going down as the most prolific passer in AAF history. 2,152 yards, 13 touchdowns, only three interceptions. Alliance for American football legend, Garrett Gilbert. Better at life than Skip Bayless. Do you think they put him in the ring of honor in whatever stadium they were playing in? I think Garrett Gilbert needs his own Orlando Apollo statue. He's got to make a camp somewhere, right? Yeah, he, he, he was Patriots uh, practice squad before going to the Apollos. Oh, so he took the TB12 formula to Orlando and dominated. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. How many, how many guys do you think from the AAF actually make it into the league? Twelve and a half guys make it. They saw one and a half and they, they he makes a roster. So if the over under 12 is 12, you're taking the over. I'm taking the over. Yeah. Half a dude will make half it. Half a dude. Yeah. No, but seriously, I think maybe like 10, 12 guys probably. I don't know. That seems high. That seems high. Like to be like some dude riding the pine. 
Like a like just a you know a stopgap guy. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'm overestimating. I don't know. Hey, we'll have the XFL now. And last year, and there was all these questions over which one was going to compete for right. our for our eyes and ears. I hope Vince McMahon has three years worth of funding saved up. I feel like he's been able to run a sports franchise long enough that he's probably planned for more than one year. He's also failed at this once before, but he also failed by making it through a year. Yeah, he completed one season. How many of those XFL dudes made it to the NFL? He hate me, did. He's the only one that matters. Exactly. All right, man. My better at life than Skip Bayless this week is for none other than the hated Arizona Cardinals. Because thank you for being a dumpster fire of an organization. You guys are amazing. They couldn't be screwing up this Rosen Murray first pick of the draft thing like any harder than they are. This is so great. You guys are amazing. First, you hire uh, Cliff Kingsbury, Sean McVay's frat buddy to come and like run the run the organization as a losing coach from Texas Tech. Awesome decision. And thank you for that. You guys are amazing. <laughs> and then you take your uh, first round pick from last year, who I wasn't super high on coming out of the draft anyways. And you drafted him. He gets battered around a little bit. And uh, now you basically erode all of his confidence and put a wedge between him and the organization with all this talk about Kyler Murray that you can't seem to keep your uh, trap shut about. And, uh, yeah, basically imploding the team right in front of our eyes. And now I see an article. They're not taking offers for Josh Rosen, which I think is bullshit. Catfish. I'm sure they are, but uh, they're they're not taking it. And they have no problems going into next season with two quarterbacks on the roster. Yes, please. Please, God, do that. <laughs> Don't trade Josh Rosen. Don't get anything for him. Put him on the same roster with Kyler Murray. Have unhappy Josh there with Kyler. And the first time Kyler struggles and the fans start calling for Josh and the whole team implodes around frat boy Cliff. This is going to be amazing. Please do that, Arizona Cardinals. You guys are right on the right track. I love you guys and you're better at life than Skip Bayless. My favorite thing about the Cardinals is just how incredibly boring like and uninterested Cliff Kingsbury sounds whenever he's on a microphone. Yeah. Do you think he uh, is thinking he's channeling his inner Belichick? Uh, Kyler Murray's a great player. Yeah, he's he's got a little ways to go for that. <laughs> We're on to the draft. Maybe that is what he's going for. No, he's 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 a pretty he's a pretty dull dude. You can be exciting and not say anything. Pete Carroll does it all the time. Well, even Sean McVay. You listen to him? No. Yeah, me neither. But he's pretty to look at. I want to see I want to see Sean McVay when he's Pete Carroll's age. And you tell me who's the better looking dude is at that point. Like if you compare Pete Carroll today to Sean McVay when he's Pete Carroll's age, I guarantee you the the Silver Fox is way better looking dude. Yeah, you know what? McVay doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to age well. No. Like no. in the face. Well, cool. There's some there's some uh, high quality analysis for y'all. <laughs> for, for those of you who decided to stick around this week. And I think with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. We talked about Sean McVay aging. I think we covered it all.